Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have given us many signs to find him. We know that you came to us first. You really found us first. And then you just make yourself so attractive that we want to come. And today we are given that opportunity to turn our eyes upon you. Turn our eyes upon you, our hearts upon you, our minds upon you. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for blessing us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, it is, I, I didn't express thanks at the first service. And Pastor Angie, I want to say thank you for allowing me to speak today. And the second service, I, she said I could still, you know, the second one after the first one. So I wasn't real sure about that. But, but I, I, um, Cheryl and I lived in White Bear Lake uh, back in 1978, uh, 84, something like that. Uh, we felt that the Lord was calling us into the ministry, and I, we quit my job, and I and, uh, had to go through and get my degree, and I had to go through seminary and so on. And so we lived over on uh, McKnight in 694. I think it's called Manitou Ridge now, I think. And uh, we went to a different Lutheran church in town, and it's surprising. I don't know if you folks know this in other Lutheran churches. There are actually some nice people there, too, <laughs> like... like um, Charlie and Kay Geisler, they're sitting in the back. Um, at least one of them is pretty nice, you know, and um, we, we got to be friends with them in, in, uh, in that church and, and really have had so many connections with White Bear Lake and First Lutheran, and, and now our daughter is worshiping and her husband and family are worshiping here as well. This is a, a great story. You've heard the story. You could probably tell the story better than anyone else. They, the story of the, the wise men. Um, it's really translated magi, which uh, opens up a whole bunch of doors. They could have been magicians. They could have been astrologers. They could have been priests of a different religion. Uh, some, one person even wrote that they could have been servants of the country they were coming from, and they were just, you go, give the gifts, and then come back home. So we don't know a lot of information about this story of the Magi coming to Bethlehem, and Jesus and his parents were in a house now at this time, and they bowed down and worshiped. And so we're, we're looking at that today, that, that we often talk about them being three because of the three gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There may have been more than that. We don't know. But they came. But I want to take you back to 1984, uh, Pope John Paul II was, um, had made plans to visit Canada, and he was going to stop in 12 different Canadian cities in Canada, and one of them was Winnipeg. Uh, we, we lived in Foston, Minnesota, which is in the northwest part of Minnesota, and about 250 miles uh, south of Winnipeg. And because of uh, this leader of the Catholic Church coming, um, Three wise guys, I think three of the wisest Scandinavians we had in our area, Ole Larson Sven, <laughs> felt it was their responsibility to make this kind of an ecumenical event. So they were going to represent the Lutheran Church and go, go up to worship or go up to Winnipeg and, uh, and see the Pope in the parade. And Ole, in his great wisdom, thought, well, if we're going up there, let's have a party as well. And so he took Ludafisk along with him. Right? And so they get up to Winnipeg, 
and they find a spot right along the parade route, and, and after a while, they got settled in, and Ole said, well, it's time to make the lutefisk. And so he started preparing it, and it started to smell, and it's reached over to the people next to them. Those people were so frustrated, they left. That everybody in the area got up and left, including Sven and Lars. They were so embarrassed with Oli that they went up and sat on a hill from a distance, but they could still see Oli. Well, shortly thereafter, the parade with the Pope in it was going down the street, and it stopped. The car that the Pope was riding in stopped right in front of Oli. And he gets out of the car walks down the sidewalk to Ole and does this. Turns around, walks back, gets into the car, and off he goes. Lars and Sven now are watching, and they go, Oh, Ole just got a blessing from the Pope. I can't believe it. I wonder what he said. Let's go down and find out. So they race down to Ole to find out. He said, Ole, you got a blessing from the Pope. What did the Pope say? Well, he said, it wasn't exactly, you notice my great Norwegian accent here, <laughs> it wasn't exactly a blessing. Well, what did he say? Well, he walked up to me, and he said, he looked at me, and he looked at the lutefisk, and he said, get that stuff out of here and get it out of here now. <laughs> Three wise men. Right? We don't know often who is called to come to Jesus. All right? It's really a call for all of us to come to Jesus. Today is the day of Epiphany. And I don't know why the church gives these fancy names. Why not just the light appeared? Doesn't that sound better than Epiphany? Well, anyway, Cheryl, my wife, sitting in the front row, she would lead a uh, grade school, first grade through third grade on Friday mornings. We had release time where we had the privilege in our schools, uh, in our school district could allow us to teach some religious things the first hour on a Friday morning. And she, it was the day of Epiphany, and Cheryl uh, presents a wonderful idea of what Epiphany is all about, that there's a light revealed. The light has come upon us. That light is Jesus. And she explained the whole thing, and she gets done, and, and she asks the first, second, third grade, do you have any questions? And one little girl raised her, and Cheryl called her, yes, what is it? I have a cat named Tiffany. <laughs> and sometimes the message is different a little bit. We don't know. We don't know a lot about this story. We don't really are not given the background in Scripture of these magi coming from the east to find Jesus. We know of a star. We know of, of uh, the magi. We know of Herod. We know of the people. And they are all to find the Messiah. They're to find Jesus. So I want to just talk to you today that my theme is we have an invitation today through Scripture to find Jesus. And there's three points that I want to make. Uh, it, this is based from the great theologian Julius Caesar. You know, he said, I, 
I came, I saw, and I conquered. And that was a military uh, term or a military words. And the wise men, they um, saw, and then they came, and then they were conquered. Not in a military battle, but they offered their lives. They knelt down. They bowed down to worship this baby Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have the star. Now, I, I'm not one of these bright scientists or astronomers, uh, but, but I understand that the closest star is the sun, and that's 93 million miles away. All right? The other stars are about four to five trillion miles away. Four to five trillion miles away. I can't even fathom that. I, I understand that if we could have a spaceship with... Um, the potential power that we think we could have going 56,000 miles per hour, we could get to that star 4 trillion miles away in 81,000 years. Now, you remember the movie Man of La Mancha in the song, To Dream the Impossible Dream. Well, there's a phrase in there that says, <laughs> my granddaughter I'm not sure he likes it when I sing or she likes it when I sing or not. But, but, there, but there is a, a one line that says, to reach the unreachable star four to five trillion miles away, how in the world are we going to reach that? Well, it's a song about boldness, encouragement, and so on and so forth. But, but it's, it's that far away. But there's a phrase in our text today that is just so incredible. It says this, we saw his star, H-I-S, one of the small words in Scripture. By the way, when you read Scripture, don't forget to zero in on small words. I love the small words. All right? While we were yet sinners, yet sinners, all right? Um, and, and the one that God butts in. All right? He butts into our lives. But we have this star, his star. And, and it's not the star we're going to reach. The star is but a sign showing us where the Savior is, showing us where the Messiah is. And so we have this star, and, and the star is shining over Bethlehem. Now, one of the things that happens with, with stars is we forget who owns what. All right? Everything is we... Uh, read in scripture belongs to God. God created everything. Well, okay, what about money? Well, didn't he create the, the resources to make the money? Everything belongs to God. Now, just a uh, um, note for um, Pastor Angie, I'm trying to give her some help with preaching here. Um, <laughs> um, that when it comes to, uh, you know, you have your giving Sundays, you know, and they, you're asked, how much can you contribute and so on and so forth. I always like to say it this way. God, God owns everything. Everything you have, he owns. And this is what he says. It's mine, and I give it to you to use. And then he adds this. Would you like to be in business with me? You can earn, or you can own, or you can run, or you can use 90% of all the resources you have. I'm asking for 10%. Now think about that. Think about that. The God of the universe who owns everything asks for 
I'm thinking, that guy does not know how to do business, <laughs> and yet he does. You know? So what happens is, instead of us focusing on his star or on Jesus himself, we begin to focus on possessions. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? If we could just get a little bit more money. Rockefeller was asked that question. How much is enough? And what did he say? Just one more penny. Never satisfied. There is, um, the second one is people, all right? People, is, you know, sometimes we, gotta, we try to get to know people, or, or we need to know the idol. We need to have somebody that plays in the National Football League as a neighbor. We need more important people in our life, and sometimes we focus on who we know or who we want to know, on the idols, the stars, and so on and so forth. Another one is our position. We, we get to the place where, you know, I've been working here for a long time, and that job that Joe has, that looks like a pretty good job. Maybe I should go for that. And then it's another job and another job and another job. And then, and then the last one is, is well, places, uh, and those four places, is, I'm just not satisfied with the home that I live in. I've got to have a bigger home, a better home, a farther away home, and so on and so forth. We're never satisfied. Gary Smalley wrote a book entitled Joy That Lasts, and those four uh, he talked about in that book. I... I'm one of these guys who will read a book and then I give it away and I never got it back and now it's out of print and I don't even know how accurate I am in, in using this. But, but, but it's a, those are the four things that rob us of joy. So I threw in parties just because I wanted to feel like I was adding my part to the sermon, you know. I threw in parties. And, and you think about the world today. What is it? The one thing that seems to drive them more than anything else and that is to eat, drink, and be merry. If I can just go to one more party, I will feel better until the next morning. I don't feel so good. And so we have his star. He owns it. He owns everything. And he says, enjoy. Enjoy. Secondly, it says they came. They came. It was a long trip for them. We don't really know how far. Some think they came from Babylon, but it was from the east. And it... and. Uh, if it was Babylon, that was 800 miles away. And 800 miles away, it, uh, uh, people who have done research in this will say that it, it could possibly have taken the Magi two years to find Jesus in Bethlehem, up to two years. We know that later because in, a little bit later in the, Matthew, or the second chapter of Matthew, it says that, that Herod passed a law to kill all male babies or male children two years old and younger because he was threatened by anyone who thought they were a king. Threatened by a baby king. And anyway, um, forgot where I was now. It's one of the things about being retired and uh, what was it? Two years, up to two years. This is why my wife attends every time I, <laughs> I speak. Every time. If it weren't for her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know when to quit. I wouldn't know when to start. I nothing. You know, it doesn't work. But what was I doing now? Where was I? Two years. Two years. Right? It took them up to two years. Now, now think about this. The journey. They're asked to go on a journey. Or I don't even know if they were asked. But they set out on a journey to follow a star so that they might come and worship him that they might come and worship 
the Messiah. How far would you travel to see Jesus? Would you go 800 miles? If they averaged just 10 miles a day, and back then it was camels, you know, but 10 miles a day, they could have made that journey in 80 days. That's less than three months. And from that information, we know that there was not one woman in that group that went along with them to ask for directions. <laughs> All right? They, I don't know, they, 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 I don't know what they did. But if women were along, they would have been there probably the day before Jesus was born, cleaned up the manger and everything else around it, put up tables for gifts, and then, and then got people to bring potluck for the following night. <laughs> if women had been involved. Now we know why that story is short. It's about men. See? <laughs> it's not a long story. But they went on a journey. They went on a journey, and they were going by a sign, a star in the sky. Wow. I think, I don't know that I would want to walk 800 miles or ride a camel for 800 miles. But they went. But in that journey, when they got to Jerusalem, they met some, comp uh, they were confronted by not such nice people, specifically Herod. It says that Herod, well, first they stopped and asked for direction, and then it said when Herod heard this, they, he secretly asked the Magi to come to him. All right? And it said that Herod and all the people in Jerusalem now, all the people were disturbed about this king, this Messiah being born in Bethlehem five miles away, maybe six you get my point? People that live that close would not go to see Jesus. It took magi who were not Christians, who more than likely were people that worshipped other gods. And God handpicked them and said, come, come. Now, I want you to know this. I believe God has handpicked each one of you. Each one of you, he has handpicked. He will not force you to follow him. But he does say, come, follow me. That's, that's throughout scripture. Come, follow me. The Magi went on a journey. Sometimes on our journeys, it gets to be very long. It gets to be very frustrating. It gets to be the hopeless, helpless feeling. And yet, they went to the manger, or not to the manger, they went to the house now where Jesus and Mary and Joseph were living. They brought the gifts, and sometimes we speak about the gifts too much, I think. Instead, I like the phrase, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down and worshiped him. They were conquered, not militarily. They just realized that we are in the presence of the divine one. We are in the presence of God himself. And they bowed down and worshiped him. I'll never forget a time in my life where I literally bowed down. I was one of these guys who, I grew up in a family where my mom and dad said, you can do anything you want to do, All right? Now I took that as meaning 
I'm going to be better than anybody else. All right? You have to understand that. And it was a time when we had our first child. I was just, we were just going back to school for going into the ministry. And Laura, who's sitting right there, um, was colicky. And she cried 21 out of 24 hours. And I made a pledge that I was going to be the best dad in the world. Not the best dad that I could be, but the best dad in the world. By the way, I haven't written any books on that yet, all right, because <laughs> I failed miserably. Right. It's going to be the best dad. That being the best dad lasted for seven days. And it was over. I remember I would get home uh, from school and work, and work was up until about 10 o'clock, and I'd sleep for two hours, and then I'd walk the floor with Laura um, so Cheryl could get a break. And I'd walk from midnight to 6 a.m., and I'd get ready and head off for school and work and so on and so forth. And, and I did that schedule for seven days. I was tired. I didn't like the journey. I didn't like parenting. And I didn't want to hurt Laura, and I didn't want to kill Laura, but I did something that I am most embarrassed about. I couldn't get her to stop crying. And one night, I just said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And I dropped her, caught her by her armpits, and I was bringing her back like this, and I was going to throw her across the room to the wall. Now, again, not because I wanted to hurt her, but because I wanted the crying to stop. I just wanted it to stop. And as I brought my hands back, the Lord spoke to me. And he just simply said, I love you. I remember falling to my knees in the kitchen where I was walking, and I... I said, Lord, I can't do this. And the song that had become very favorite, a song for us, our family, was, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. And I remember holding Laura and just singing, Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more could he do give? Oh, how he loves you, oh, how he loves me, oh, how he loves you and me. I believe that that saved Laura's life that night. And then I began to believe in it better, just what a savior we have. He wants lives to be saved. He wants lives to be saved. He wants to not only find us, but he wants us to willingly 
come to him. It may be five miles. It may be 10 miles. It may be 18 inches from our head to our heart. It may be we have all the knowledge in the world here, but we don't have a place in our, our heart for him. But Jesus says, I won't force myself into you, but I invite you to come. I learned many lessons from my children, my grandchildren. I remember when I think Laura was three years old, we were out walking in the winter, and it was very icy, and I tried to hold her by the hand because I didn't want her to fall, but no, she said, I'm holding your finger. So she would hold my finger, and we'd walk just a little ways, and she slipped on the ice and went down. She went down. She got up and just was mad at me because I let her fall. I said, okay, honey, let's try it this way this time. Let me hold on to your hand. Let me hold on to your hand. And so the next time we went by on that icy patch, she slipped, but I lifted her up, and she didn't fall down. And I think, isn't that a great theological thought there? That when we let God hold our hands, not that we aren't going to go through some suffering, some tough journeys. That's going to be life. But when we do that, what he's saying is, I'll hold your hand. I'll hold your hand. I'll get you through life. I will get you home. One last thing, I'll never forget the day when I told Laura about what kind of a dad she had. And then I, I shared it with a group of people one time, and she was the accompanist uh, for Cheryl's and my singing. And after I got done, Laura comes up to me and says, that's my dad. And I just want to say to you, when we know that Jesus has us by the hand and leading us through life, we can say, that's my savior, that's my dad, that's my father. See, and and that's what we have an opportunity today is to come to Jesus, keep coming to Jesus. It's not how perfect we are. It really is how miserable we are as sinners because we fall short. Would you sing with us, oh, how he loves you and me? Can we do this together? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you.